Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So uh, today we are continuing in our um, pretty extensive message series that we've been going through called Creed, which is really about... Um, examining and exploring the various, um, what I would consider to be core aspects of our faith as Christians. You know, um, over the years, the last 2,000 years, really since the the, the life of Jesus, um, there have been multiple attempts of church leaders to kind of put forward creeds that sort of outline these main things. And the song that we just sang, this I uh, believe is really a song version of an attempt that's kind of come out of maybe like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles Creed that really attempted to kind of give people um, one-liners, if you will, about what it is that we believe. And so what we've been doing is exploring various topics like the Bible or the Trinity, the concept of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Who are they? What does that mean? Um, and so we have been going through these things. And the idea is not for you to just simply have knowledge. I want to be clear on that. I think knowledge is incredibly important. I think that for too long, many people in, um, in the church in particular, uh, maybe denominations more than others have relied more heavily upon experience or upon, um, you know, the spirit and not enough on engaging with the, the mind and study uh, and some have equally done the opposite. And I think there needs to be a marriage of the two. Um, and so I just wanted to reiterate that, you know, it is valuable to know what we believe because it will inform how we live. I believe that to my core, that what we believe will inform how we live our lives. And if we don't know what we believe about something, then we are informed by some other source, you know. Um, But not just with knowledge, but knowledge combined with faith, knowledge combined with God's spirit that lives inside of us, that has the power to work in and through us. And that's really the point of this message series. It's not just to collect um, knowledge so that we can either argue with someone or even wrestle with our own selves, which is valuable. But the end result is to bring it back to our relationship with God and 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 allow him to speak into our lives and then allow that to transform us. And so hopefully you guys have been finding this, um, you know, challenging and helpful. This is week seven, and there are a total of 10 topics. I believe we're going to get to Easter before we finish. So we'll probably take a break to kind of, unless it lines up perfectly to kind of have a message more specifically around the Easter Sunday, and then uh, we'll finish, finish up. But so it's just a recap for last week. We talked about the concept of healing, Um, and our statement of faith from healing was that wholeness is God's desire, regardless of of how the concept of supernatural healing um, is lived out. We understand that our statement of faith um, that I believe that the Bible teaches about healing is really about wholeness in this life or the next. And so our statement of faith says this, the healing of the sick is illustrated in the life and ministry of Jesus, and it's included in the commission of Jesus to his disciples. We should be praying for the sick. It is a provision of Christ's atonement on the cross, and it is given as a sign to which is to follow believers. However, there is a note, this does not imply 
the false concept that immediate healing always accompanies true faith. There are many righteous in scripture who did not immediately receive healing in this life. Rather, healing can also be a process which is finalized by entrance into heaven. And so wholeness is God's desire. It's not transactional. It's not a, I prayed and this happened, but wholeness and restoration is what is God is doing and who we are becoming ultimately restored when, when all things are restored um, in the new heaven and new earth. And so hopefully you guys found last week to be encouraging um, and insightful. Well, this week we're going to be diving into another topic, <coughs> excuse me, which is called eternity. And this topic, if I could be completely honest with you, has been a challenge uh, this week for me to put this message together, um, partly because my work week had been has been incredibly busy. And so I was not able to put in some of the, as much time as I would normally would like to into crafting um, the message. But also partly because if I could be honest with you, um, I would consider my own understanding of some of this particular topic to be one that is not, um, what would the word I'd be? The phrase that's coming to my mind is, is rock solid. I would say it's there, there is, first of all, I would say that this topic in its own right, there is no real way to know 100% sure about it. There's a lot of um, argument. There's a lot of question in with, even in within Christian scholarship. Um, a lot of study materials that are available that land in different places on a number of these. And so today what I want to do is less so talk of, uh, from a place of, a, of authority. Um, I think the Bible will speak for itself. We're going to examine quickly in the beginning about five scriptures, short scriptures that kind of just kind of outline what we're talking about. And then the meat of our of our of this teaching is really going to be kind of examining a number of uh concepts that are related to eternity. And then I want to wrap it up. And then I would rather us just talk about it because I think that's really, I think the valuable space for this. Um, and so if there's anyone listening online um, for the podcast, um, this is not an attempt to necessarily um, tell you what you have to believe. I think there is enough in our faith statement of faith that gives room for various nuances, um, but more so along the lines of recognizing that some topics are just challenging and do require more conversation and less uh, specific. So hopefully that's uh, something that's helpful. And I recognize that anyone listening online may not have that ability. So you feel free to reach out to me personally via email or Facebook or something. I'd be happy to talk with you individually about that. All right. So today, uh, eternity, right? So our sermon is called Somewhere Forever. Eternity, somewhere, forever. And our statement of faith on our website, which you can find on our church website, says, man was created to exist forever. He will exist either eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is hell. To be eternally in union with him is heaven. Heaven and hell are places of eternal existence. Today, we're going to be talking about eternity and the concept that we're kind of wrapping this around is somewhere forever. Now, when I think about the idea of eternity, and I would, you know, invite you into this very, this exercise as well. Think about this for a second. When I say the word eternity, what are the things that pop into your mind? I think of immediately, I think of heaven and hell. 
I think of the pearly gates, right? How many times have you heard people say like, oh, we go to the pearly gates and St. Peter is there, you know, waiting for me, right? With a checklist of if you're on the list to get in past the little velvety ropes to get into the club, right? Like that's what I think of St. Peter. Um, uh, growing up in my in my uh, church life in the Assemblies of God, there was all these old timey hymns about walking on streets of gold and the mansions that you would, you know, live in and some of that kind of stuff. Um, I also think of Lucifer. I think of the lake of fire. I think of Dante's Inferno. That's another concept that pops in my mind, the imagery of the levels of hell and kind of some of those uh, concepts. Um, I think of fire and brimstone. These are all things that pop up into my mind. I think of Rob Bell, the author who wrote the book called Love Wins, which is very controversial in the, in the Christian world because he doesn't really believe that hell is a real place and all kinds of things like that. I think about things like purgatory. I think of all of these things are wrapped up in the concept of, of eternity. <clears throat> and so what I want to do today is really talk about talk about what eternity is and what is the point of, of eternity from the perspective of what the Bible teaches. I do want to talk about the various possibilities to help us understand what, you know, what people are talking about, what, what uh, others are kind of are positing and arguing and, and putting theories together. But uh, I think I want to understand the character of God, really. Um, and then how does that possibly conflict with how we like to see the world or believe how it should work? Because I think this is where the challenge comes for us, right? Is we would, for many of us, when we think of heaven and hell, in the traditional concept of what eternity looks like for those who are not in relationship with God through Christ, it means that there's this concept of hell. But the traditional concept of hell is an eternal place of suffering and torment, which then directly conflicts with my belief that understanding that God is gracious and merciful and good and kind. And so it puts me into this position. So how do we get to those places and how do we work through that and work around that? And while there's certainly no way of us doing that in a 30 minute message, nor in a 20 to 30 minute discussion, I think what we're going to do today um, will hopefully begin some of that conversation and create spaces for us to do research on our own, but also further conversations together. Um, so what do we believe about eternity? And why does it matter? So the first kind of half of our statement of faith says man was created to exist forever. He will exist either eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. I don't know that there's a lot of argument about that. That part is pretty standard when it comes to in unified in scripture, generally speaking. The paints a picture of there's a problem. Sin has divided man from God and our relationship with him is doomed without Jesus. That's the story of the Bible, right? Uh, and the concept of that we have choices. We can either follow in a relationship with Christ, the grace and mercy that's offered and live in paradise and eternity of joy, or we can choose to not accept that gift and, and bear the consequences of eternal separation from God. I don't think there's a whole lot of argument around that, except for maybe some authors like a Rob Bell, who instead believes that ultimately um, God gets his way in that love wins, right? That God says, I desire for all to be saved. And so he takes that to the literal step that, that eventually all will eventually come to the knowledge of Jesus. Now that is you know, not traditional Christianity in any frame of the, of the word, whether it's valid or not, that's a separate conversation, but that's not what we're talking about. Generally speaking, right? Traditionally, the concept of Christianity over the last 2000 years is you either spend eternity in God's presence or not, 
Okay, so that's kind of the idea. Now, where does all it come from? Let's read a few passages, uh, and then we're going to kind of get into more of the meat of the more trickier pieces of this statement of faith, okay? So Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. No, I'm sorry, that's not... This one's actually John 3.16. I don't know why uh, why it, I, I had it listed improperly here. So Matt, John, John chapter 3, verse 16. Everybody knows this one. For God loved the world in this way. Okay. So when we we're talking about the concept of this idea of man was created to exist forever, and then he'll either exist eternally separated or in union with God. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes, everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life, right? So that's the story right there, that God sent his son Jesus so that we could be in union with him through eternity. On the flip side, Romans chapter 6, verses 23, for the wages, the payment, the consequence of sin, the full payment, the paycheck of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, painting this eternal picture of either, either eternal death or eternal life. First John, not John 1, first John, the epistle of John, first John chapter 2, verse 25. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. So you can see here, man was created to exist forever right? He will either exist eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. The promise that he has himself made to us is eternal life. First John 5, so a little bit further down, First John chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. So we know that there is a relationship with Jesus and that it gives us eternal life in the presence of God. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son does not have that life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you know that you may have eternal life. Like there's over and over and over again, the promise of those who are in a relationship with Jesus Christ is eternal life in the presence of God. But then we look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, and it says, and anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Right, So these pictures that we see, and there are other passages of Scripture um, throughout the New Testament primarily, but also some in the Old Testament that, that are painting the picture of eternity. The concept of death was only introduced in the book of Genesis because of sin being introduced into the world, right? Like the, the idea was is that prior to the serpent and prior to Adam and Eve participating and eating the fruit in the garden, that they would just live in harmony in the presence of God. That is the goal. That was the plan. That was the original intent is that we would have a world full of billions of people who all lived in harmony with God all the time. Just good stuff. Sunbathing. That idea of me standing outside of my backyard on a nice day soaking up the sun. That's every day. Like that's every day for those people who didn't have sin in their life. That was just good. They were just, you know, having fun with the animals and they were eating the fruit and they were just enjoying life and taking care of the planet, but all the time in the presence of their creator, just enjoying it, integrated into all of that process. But sin entered 
And then the, the rest of the Bible paints a picture of the damaging and destructive effects of sin that has separated us. <clears throat> and then we see because of Jesus, there's the only way back to that eternal life. But outside of that, there is eternal separation. And the reason for that is because our body is temporary, but the soul is eternal. The Bible paints a picture that ultimately the bodies that we have, they're temporary. The physical, they break down, but the soul within us is what lives on forever. It's designed to be in constant relationship and connection with God. And in the previous weeks, we've talked about holiness. We talked about sin. We talked about separation. We even sang about that today, that his great love keeps us from separation. And then we see that Jesus's sacrifice is what allows us to have grace, the grace that covers us and gives us salvation so that our relationship with him can be restored. But without it, how can a perfect, righteous God allow the injustice of sin to go unjudged? Like, that's the question, really. The idea of if God is who he says he is, he's holy, he's perfect, he's just, sin is not of him, it must be judged. How could he allow those individuals who have not been covered by that, who have not received that, who have not, you know, who have who have who have not paid that penalty exist in the same place as those who have? And that's why there's a creation of separation of those spaces. Because of God's own holiness, it couldn't allow it. So all of that to be said, man was created to exist forever. He will either exist eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. Now, the meat of all of this is really this space. The next part of our passage says to be eternally separated from God is hell and to be eternally in union with him is heaven and heaven and hell are places of eternal existence. Now, all I want to do is just kind of as briefly as I can kind of give some thoughts about each of those spaces, heaven and hell, actually hell first and then heaven, and then kind of close up. And then I want to talk about it. <clears throat> the concept of being eternally separated from God, I think is divided into a few pieces. The first is, I think it's important for us to review it as an idea of self-exclusion. I I think I struggle, I struggled for a long time. And when I discovered this term self-exclusion, it really, it really helped me because we often, and I'll just speak for myself. I say, I have often, and hope maybe others have as well, thought, how could God send people to hell? Why would he do that? But if there's an idea of self-exclusion where I'm the one choosing that, it helps me understand better. What do I mean by that? I want to read something out of uh, what's called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I want to read that today because I found it very helpful. It says this, we cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love him. But we cannot love God if we sin gravely against him, against our neighbor, or against ourselves. To die in mortal sin without repenting and accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice. This state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called hell. And I thought that was really powerful 
because it, it draws a line between who the actor is in this case. I'm sending myself to that place. I'm choosing to be separated from what is freely available to me. I think that's really important because now it takes the pressure off of God for being some mean jerk. And instead, for even though I'm not taking responsibility for my own actions, I chose to be a jerk in life. I chose to make poor choices. I chose to be harmful and to do harm to those around me. And I still want the get out of jail free card. And then I want to blame God for the penalties that I have rightly earned. But when self-exclusion is at work, I understand now that I saw a door, I saw a way, I saw an answer and freely chose not to accept it. So that's the concept of self-exclusion. Now, I want to just mention also that hell is different. The concept of separation from God is hell is different from purgatory. And we're not going to talk about whether purgatory is right or not. What we are going to talk about is what it is, just so you have everybody has an understanding of what purgatory is. Purgatory is the state of those people who die in God's friendship, assured of their eternal salvation, but who still have a need of, pur of purification to enter into the happiness of heaven. In other words, purgatory is not for any person who didn't give their life to Christ. Like if, if a person was to, was to reject Jesus, either willfully or just just never got around to it, and they were to die, all of the rest of what we're talking about applies to them. Purgatory, if it exists, only applies for those who have, who have given their life to Christ. And the concept is, is that because you can't, the idea is that because you can't enter into the perfect holiness of God's presence without being pure yourself, that there is a sort of holding space for that to be paid and then you go. Okay. So I just wanted to mention that the idea of purgatory is really only for Christians who just have to go to that secondary space before receiving the concept of heaven. Okay. Now I want to talk about real quickly, a little bit more about hell and the question of whether or not it's a place or whether it's a state of existence, because that's a question that often comes up as well. Is hell a literal place? Is it a literal lake of fire? With, where, where we see the scriptural references, it is in scripture where it says it is a place of lake of fire. It also talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is a concept that comes out of, if it is a place, then it is this theological term, which is eternal conscious torment. And this is a really hard, this is where people really get hung up on the idea of, of eternity, especially being separated from God, because now it means that a person who has not freely received the gift of grace and salvation of Jesus, the alternative to that, that Bible paints the picture, if it's a literal place, means that you will now live in ex eternal existence in what's called eternal conscious torment. The idea of physical and spiritual suffering forever. And that's really hard for people to wrap their heads around how a loving, merciful God would give 80 years worth of penalty time for the rest of eternity to be paid out over eternity. And to be honest with you, like there's an argument to be made for it because if you just read scripture plainly, that seems to be the indication if you just read it like in English, okay? Um, however, there's also other ideas is that it's not a place, but it is a state. 
of existence instead of a place. And so what does that mean? I would also like to kind of pull back to some Catholic um, teachings or thoughts here. And this is from Pope John Paul II from 1999. This is what he said when they were talking about and asking about it. And I just came across these this week. So it's not that I'm necessarily trying to pull from Catholic teachings, but came across some statements that I felt were really important and line up with, with scripture or with, with for our, helpful for our discussion. So this is what Pope John Paul II said in 1999 about whether hell is a place or a state. And he said this, rather than a place, hell indicates the state of those who freely and definitively separate themselves from God, the source of all life and joy. So in his perspective, it's not a place that you're just kind of a sent to, but instead it is the result of your choice to separate yourself. That self-exclusion is what hell is, and it is a place of suffering. But it's not necessarily like you're in like an orange place, like chained up to a rock and there's fire just burning like necessarily, okay? So again, I'm not seeking so much to give you an answer as I am to help you understand that there are multiple ways of thinking through this to try to work through this problem or this question. Now, regardless, the Bible teaches that separation does equal suffering in some capacity. And I wanted to quote now, the Greek Orthodox theologian, and his name is, I'm probably going to butcher it, Theodore Stylianopoulos. Theodore Stylianopoulos. And this is what he said about the suffering that is involved in being separated from God. Hell is a spiritual state of separation from God and the inability to experience the love of God. I think that's really important right there. It's not only the separation, but it is the inability to experience the love of God, while being conscious of the ultimate deprivation of it as punishment. I think that is really powerful. And probably the closest that I land right now with, with, how, with what, what it means to suffer in separation. Like, maybe it does mean that there's a literal place where you go, and then there's all kinds of pain and suffering because of it. But that seems out of character with God in, in that like vindictive, right? Maybe. But what if the concept of it is this separation that I can no longer experience the light of God's goodness? And even people, the Bible is very clear, <coughs> excuse me, that even people who are wicked still have the rain on them still have the sun that shines upon them, are still have, have goodness in their life. What if the, the, the consequence of eternal consequence of separation from God, and that it ultimately that it comes from judgment, is that that is removed? That there is no more sunlight of God's goodness. There is no more love. And they are only left with depravity and, and sadness and agony of the realization of what they had but didn't recognize the source of i mean even in that perspective it sounds awful it sounds terrible hell is a spiritual state of separation from god and the inability to experience the love of god while being conscious of the ultimate deprivation of it as punishment that was greek orthodox theologian theodore stylianopoulos 
And so we have this concept of eternal conscious torment in a literal place. We have this idea of a state of existence, which is the absence of God's presence and just the agony of the knowledge of that, that concept. But then there's a, one other concept that I want to talk about before we move on to the idea of heaven, and that is what's called conditional immortality. And this is the idea of two ideas. It's either annihilation or what's called limited conscious torment. And the concept here is that there is some theological argument to be made in the scriptures of when you read the Greek, when you read the Hebrew and the understanding of what it meant at the time, some of the different words that are used for heaven or from hell and for Hades and for the pit and Tartarus and like these kinds of concepts that implies that there is a space in which that separation from God means you will simply cease to exist. That's the idea of annihilation, that at the great judgment, that those who have chosen willfully to reject the gift of salvation from Jesus, that instead of an eternal conscious torment, that, that God in his grace and mercy, instead of forcing them to be suffering, would instead just like annihilate the, the, the existence, that that person's consequence would no longer exist at all. That's called annihilation. That's the idea of conditional immortality. We know that, that, that God created us to exist forever, but the concept of conditional immortality means that, that there is this concept of that possibly that instead of a place of existence or the state, that the, that the consequence is ceasing to exist after the judgment. Others believe similarly in a limited conscious torment, which or uh, limited conscious punishment, which means that for a select period of time they would experience it and then and then cease to exist. So there's these different ways, right, of thinking about it, and I think it's important for us to wrestle. I think it's important for us to think about because I do think it informs the way that we the way that we live our lives. If I don't believe, or if you don't believe that there is any penalty of any kind for my actions or whether I receive the grace of Jesus Christ, then that does inform the way that I speak to my friends or the way that I, um, the way that I at least think about the state of their existence and their soul. Right? I mean, so but if I believe, and this was used as fuel for a long time, that was where fire and brimstone teachings came from, right? This idea of get your soul right, you're going to hell, right? That's where the concept of the preacher standing out on the on the picket line with the, you know, with the with the little sign that says, you know, you know, Jesus saves, you know, and and sin will send you to hell, like those kinds of ideas. That's where that comes from. And the heart behind it was, I don't want you to go there, so please come to Jesus. Whether or not you'd say that's a the right way to go or not, I think is in terms of how you, the method you're using, that's up for debate. But I think the understanding is that because that person believed that, they used it as fuel to, to inform how they behaved. So I think it is important for us to think through, is hell a literal place? Is it a state of existence? Am I consciously aware of what's happening? Or is there a concept of like that God in his mercy gives us like just we cease to exist in those spaces. I think we have to think through that. But there's also the idea of eternal union in, with him in heaven. And I think if we spend too much time thinking about the, the, what hell is, I think we're missing the point of the entire Bible. <laughs> you know, like the Bible opens and closes, not with hell, 
it opens and closes with it opens with with paradise and it closes with paradise that is the point the entire point of the bible is the relationship with god was broken god seeks to fix it he creates a plan so that we could find grace and mercy and in restoration of that plan and ultimately the bible ends with the greatest hope of all time which is that all things will be restored back to that that's the point and so if we spend our entirety or so much time thinking about and wrestling with all of these pieces of what happens if we don't, which is important to do, but it also, if we do it too much, we miss the point that we spend eternity in union with him. That's what heaven is. And that's the goal for all people. And so this is God's desire. The point of everything we believe is really about heaven. It's about knowing Jesus. It's about being in restoration. It's about getting restored. If hell is the separation from God's presence and the suffering associated with it, then heaven is the union with God's presence and the fullness of joy and wholeness and satisfaction associated with it. It is a spiritual place of God and his angels. And it is also the abode of the righteous in the afterlife until the restoration of all things. So we see heaven as both a place, but also as a state of existence. It is a spiritual place of God and his angels. The Bible teaches it's the abode of the righteous. It's the place that we go in the afterlife until the restoration of all things after the second coming of Christ. And we see that in the new creation. Like we see in Revelation, the idea of, of, of a new heaven and a new earth, a restore, a restoration, a return to it. I love the, this is, this is so interesting to me, is that the same guy, Rob Bell, who, who wrote that book, Love Wins, who really got himself into trouble by writing that book, talking about his kind of idea of what heaven and hell is. Prior to that, he used to make these awesome videos that were great illustrations of, 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 of applying scripture in a way that helps people understand the concepts. And one of them that he wrote was about the trees. And he talked about how the Bible opens and closes with trees. The tree is the tree of life. And then in the, uh, in the new city of God that we see in Revelation, in the, in, in, uh, the new heaven and new creation, it talks about the tree of life there again. The concept of how the Bible opens and closes with life, with hope, with restoration, with God's presence over all things and all people. And people are just in union with him. The realization of his joy, the realization and association of wholeness and satisfaction, that's heaven. That's what heaven is. And we look forward to that. And it's described in these terms, the mystery, and this is, this came from, from a writing that I found this week, this mystery of blessed communion with God and all who are in Christ is beyond all understanding and description. Scripture speaks of it in images like this, light, life, peace. It talks about it as a wedding feast the wine of the kingdom, the father's house, the new Jerusalem. It's called paradise. It says that no eye has seen it. No ear has heard it. No heart of man has conceived it. What God has prepared for those who love him. That's what it talks about for heaven. It doesn't spend a lot of time talking about hell. It has specific passages, but the focal point, the effort in scripture is about Jesus, what he accomplished and what is to come 
for all of us. Man was created to exist forever. He will exist either eternally separated from God by sin or in union with God through forgiveness and salvation. To be eternally separated from God is hell. And whatever that means, it's not good. It's terrible. And we don't want it. But to be eternally in union with him is heaven. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's full of joy. That is the goal. And heaven and hell are places of eternal existence. Whatever it means, it's what it is. And so it matters to us now because it affects the way that we live and it matters to those around us, which is why God, why Jesus in Matthew 28 gives the great commission to his followers. And he says, I'm going away and you've got a job to do. Your job is to let people know what you have discovered in me and to teach them to to know me. And when they do, they'll receive the same gift that you did. That's the point. That is literally the point of the entire Bible. Eternity, somewhere, forever. Would you pray with me? God, (coughs) I first just want to say thank you that you made a way for us to be restored back into a relationship with you. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful. When we think about the other alternative, it's scary, it's looming, it's uh, it's heavy, it feels dark, and there's so much to it that I think um, if I'm honest with myself and with you and with other people, it it brings me to places that I don't think are really the point. It causes me to ask questions, and I think they're all fine and good. But sometimes, and and if I'm honest, writing this message this week, I felt like I spent a lot of time thinking about hell. And I felt kind of convicted in a way of why am I spending so much time in all of this when there is this other side of it, which is the point. And and I I don't know, maybe, maybe others are on the call are feeling similarly. And, and maybe you're saying something similar to them that, that it's important to know what you believe, but it's not to be focused on. That is not the part to be focused on. So God, would you help us as we move into our discussion and well beyond it, you know, whether it's days, weeks, or months, or even years to where we really wrestle with this thought process of what it means to be a, an eternal being created to know you and what that means if we choose not to. I pray that you would speak to us. Give us the confidence that we know that we are found in you and what that means, that that is heaven. And I pray that you would also equally do the work in us to to come to a conviction of what it means to be eternally separated from you, and that is hell. And to figure out what, what scripture teaches, what we believe, and then that would inform the way that we live. That heaven would inform that we live, but also hell would too. That we would be people whose lifestyle is oriented around the goodness and presence of God, but that when we have opportunity in talking to our friends and to coworkers and other people, that, that the way that we see them would be framed by their state of existence in eternity and your desire to know them. Would you do that in each of us? We just pray that now you would seal what you've spoken from your word into our lives today. 
bless our conversation in Jesus's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.